Welcome to the Muscle Ratio. I'm your host, Alicia Larea Ellis, and we're here with two very special guests, Alad and David. Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Thanks for us. Yes, thank you. thank you. So, again, this is episode 78, where we bring more light everywhere through heart-to-heart conversations. And it's a blessing to, to have the both of you on the show today to talk about your adventures, your passion, your purpose, and kind of how we all got together. So, if you don't mind, maybe share a little bit about yourself as individuals, and we'll go ahead and jump right into it. I'll turn it to Alad first. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, so, I'm uh, Alad Granote. I, I, I wear two hats uh, professionally. One is uh, I'm the uh, dean of the Bola College of Business at John Carroll University here in uh, Cleveland. And the other is I'm the uh, founder and and, uh, managing member of iAngels Investments USA, which is a venture capital firm. Awesome. Awesome. Great, great stuff. And I'm, I can't wait to share more about what you have going on. David, you want to share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Obviously, always a uh, hard uh, act to follow, uh, Dr. Granot. <laughs> but I'm David Sullivan. I'm with University Hospitals, also here in Cleveland. I uh, have the privilege of leading the venture capital and innovation platform and uh, will soon be assuming a, uh, a role that includes uh, some of the strategy needs for the system as well. Great awesome. to be here. Thank yes. you. Yes, thank you both. Uh, and, and so I want to share a couple of fun facts that I found out. Um, you Is know, that from the questionnaire you had us fill Yes. Like? So I don't remember what I said. Yeah, and okay. it's kind of hard. I kind of like try to Google you guys. It's, everything's okay. so professional, so academia. <laughs> and I'm just like, I need to maybe hit your wife up to see what I can find out that oh, could be you know really... her number. You can do it. Yes. Okay, yes. so this is this is what I found, right? Um, a, a lot, And this is what I also found out in our trip to Israel, which we'll, we'll talk more about. A lot is a huge fan of cheetah print. This is a fact, okay? And he, um, he also stated that he was possibly nearly, we don't know how true this really is, but maybe cast it as Rambo potentially because of his amazing body and looks and all that he is um, in, in, in the earth. So Never did that. Never, never. said that. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so what I found about David, he is a huge fan of scuba diving. Yep. Um, and he is currently taking ballroom dancing lessons. So if anybody who's looking for a partner, David may or may not step on. Reluctantly, but yes. Whoa. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Alad and David. So again, welcome. Welcome <laughs> to the show. And, and thank you for joining us. And I want to kind of open up with kind of how we got to, to this point. Uh, I met Alad maybe a year and a half ago, roughly. And was invited to to come to Israel on a great trip around culture, religion, and business. And David was on that trip with us. And this was back in May, which feels like a pretty much a lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, and we were just sharing about some of that experience before we jumped on camera and on the, on the show about how impactful that trip was and, and life-changing for many of us. And the chemistry that we had as, I don't know, what was 15, 18 of us? Yeah. Around that, that went to Israel for, for a 10-day trip. And, and so when I was putting together the agendas for, for the shows of this summer, I was like, okay, I got to get both of you together because there's so much chemistry with the two of you and how you lead and the things that you're working on. Um, and then some of the things that I'm, I'm involved in to, to a small percentage. So that's some of the background. And I wanted to just open it up with maybe a lot of you starting about, you know, putting those trips together. You, you're you're from Israel, and so what really drives you to put those trips together and, and for so long now? Yeah, so, so well, the, the most important thing as, as a business school dean is to uh, generate talent into your ecosystem. And, and doing that is providing them with the skill set that they need uh, in terms of business, but really al- also opening up horizons and understanding potential. And, you know, if we, if we talk about a global economy, if we talk yeah. about a flat earth uh, in terms of uh, you know, uh, not in terms of <laughs> physics, but in terms of business, in the sense that everything connects. Well, you can't just do that sitting in a classroom. You really have to go out yes. and, and see things from a business lens. And so I've been doing study tours. Uh, I think I told you just before we came on camera, uh, I, I've done over 70 of them wow. all over the world. In fact, the next one, so the last one was to Israel. The next one is to South Africa. And so we're trying to cover um, a variety of economies, a variety of societies, a variety of uh, ecosystems around the world expose our students uh, to that. So that's the main impetus behind just traveling from in a business uh, angle in general. Specifically going to Israel, you're right, my background yes. is, is uh, in, from Israel. My parents uh, still live there. Uh, but it also is a special place, and I've been, I really have been everywhere. Um, and it's a special place in the sense of the combination that it offers in terms of uh, history, uh, religion, culture, and cutting edge um, insane yes. uh, business scene, right? And so there is no um, other ecosystem around the world that has all of that. 
there's only one holy land, so it's really tough to replicate that. Right. And then you add on top of that all the other things that we saw and all the types of people that we met. Uh, and the story, the national story, the, the peoplehood story, the business story. Um, and, and so it became a, a always a highlight of the study tours. Um, and of course, being from there, I always feel like I'm responsible for everything happening uh, from weather down to, uh, you know, the security situation. Uh, and so I was glad that everything went uh, according to plan. But it really it really starts from exposing us to other cultures, other ecosystems, and especially, I think, educating ourselves rather than letting propaganda do that for us. Mm -hmm. And I would I would say, and David probably will definitely agree with me on, you did a phenomenal job putting that together. Of course, you had a, a very dynamic team to help support that and, and take that vision to life. And and so, David, we, we know why Alad wants to put these trips together, but why attend the trip to Israel? What was the, the meaning before behind that? Yeah, tremendous question. You know, we, we suffer from the benefit in the United States of being potentially the epicenter from the perspective of innovation, market access, access to capital, access to talent. But that tends to make us pretty myopic. And regardless of what industry you're in, what asset class you're in, everyone is exposed to Israeli tools and technologies on a daily basis. Yep. I will tell you, we see at least two Israeli-based pitches per week. Wow. Uh, and that's because of the velocity and the quality and the sophistication of the innovation that's coming out of Israel. So parlaying a little bit of what Elad said from the perspective of experiential learning, uh, investors and entrepreneurs and uh, potential pilot sites and, and ecosystem partners also need to be willing and available to expose themselves to uh, the, the opportunities at their root, at their inception. Uh, and to understand, which we did after after an incredible 10-day immersion, what makes the the Israeli tick and what makes the Israeli ecosystem and uh, and the quality of their innovation tick. And so I think it's critical that we keep a very open viewfinder. I will tell you, we do the same with uh, with the funds that I work with in Brazil, in the UK, in England, in Singapore. We have to be very receptive to opportunity outside of our own boundaries. Yeah, I love that. And that's really, we were immersed in everything Israel and surrounding Israel. And it was, and I can speak for me, it was definitely a life-changing experience. And I'm looking forward to to going back. And 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 the food, I mean, you, you can't talk about it without talking about the food. I mean, we ate, I don't know if I've ate that much in, in that amount of time in my entire life. So again, a lot, just thank you for putting together things like that, that is revolutionary for the city of Cleveland and the leaders, you know, leading the way and paving the way here to, to continue to be immersed in different culture, um, different beliefs. Um, and obviously the innovation, like you mentioned, David, is groundbreaking. And we want to get into um, uh, and some of that today in today's episode. So from a venture standpoint, you both are heavily in it. I mean, to, to the weeds of all things venture and ideation and innovation here um, from a local level, but obviously a global level. And that was one of the exciting things that bring you both onto the show was talking about your individual experiencing, navigating those ecosystems. And then how are you bringing what may be um, very innovative here, but very common in other places like Israel. And so for you a lot specifically, you're, you're starting a new fund um, at John Carroll, which is groundbreaking for John Carroll, but yeah. common in other areas. Can you talk a little bit about that experience navigating through the academia world from an entrepreneurial lens in this time and age? Yeah, it's 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 really um, an interesting challenge. Uh, academia is not necessarily known for being groundbreaking right. uh, and fast paced, uh, whereas the the world that I come from, you have to be. And and so I always I always enjoy pushing that boundary. Um, uh, some some people may not enjoy me doing that, uh, but at the end of the day, we need to serve our students and we need to serve the ecosystem that we exist in. And so when, when you look at what, what we're trying to do here in Northeast Ohio and in greater Cleveland in particular, what, what, we what we're trying to encourage is entrepreneurial activity, mm -hmm. innovation. We're trying, we're trying to um, um, get as much activity going. And there is a lot of activity going. Okay. And usually what happens is in, in uh, younger ecosystems uh, that, that are still developing, there is, and, and this is what's happening here, there's a lack of venture capital. Mm -hmm. uh, you hit a wall. And then um, you need to start looking elsewhere. And, and that starts to be the drain uh, uh, pulling away talent. 
because if you can't fund talent here, then they're going to go to where they can they right. can get uh, funded. And so how do you do that? Well, it's a sort of a chicken and egg situation. Everybody will describe that to you. Well, we don't have venture capital activity here, so we can't have uh, ventures here. And they keeps going yeah, back and forth. It, I don't dude. like chicken and egg. I, <laughs> no. I like, okay, let's break the cycle. And so what what is my job as a business school dean? It's generating talent. So how do you generate talent in, in uh, venture capital? How do you generate talent in business at all? It's learning by doing. That's the way I see it. So how are you, uh, you, you going to do it? Uh, are you going to just read about venture capital firm uh, funds and, and, and sort of imagine what it's like? No, you put together a venture capital uh, fund that is managed by students, and that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's Blue Streaks Ventures. We're the, we're the uh, John Carroll Blue Streaks, and so um, it'll be it'll be students, finance students, but not necessarily just finance. It could be accounting, it could be a variety of uh, um, uh, disciplines who will be managing a venture capital fund. I always explain it to folks. You know, if you watch Shark Tank. It's, you know, students uh, doing that, right? The students are going to be the sharks, but they're also going to be investing in students and in alumni and eventually community ventures. And so we're creating a venture capital uh, talent pump in the college because we serve this ecosystem. And as you said, this is very common in uh, some, some places, in yeah. some economies. In Israel, as we saw, right. every university has it. Here, not so much. Uh, and so, you know, it's considered quite innovative. But uh, to me, uh, it's a must. It's something it's that must. we must do to fulfill our mission and to teach our students uh, by doing rather yep. than just theory. So you may pick up that we have very two bold disruptors. Um, they may not lead like that, but they definitely are. So for maybe our audience who, who are not familiar with VC in, in that space, do you mind explaining kind of what that industry is and, and, sure. and your role navigating through it? Sure. At its, at its core, the venture capital uh, industry, innate in terms of the terminology, is uh, a, an attempt to deploy capital in possibly the most nascent and riskiest end of the investment spectrum. Um, any idea, starting at the back of an envelope or back of the proverbial napkin, needs to be catalyzed in some way to get to some point of de-risking some point of adjudication that there is a there there, that there is something feasible and viable worth pursuing, uh, but there needs to be a little bit of uh, uh, assistance around the inertia at the earliest stage. And so venture capital, and it's a very complicated and complex spectrum, but at the very earliest uh, juncture of, of an opportunity is really acting as that catalyzing capital, that initial um, uh, impetus to give the founders, to give the leadership team, uh, to give the marketplace an opportunity to determine if there is something worth pursuing. Venture capital uh, from the perspective of a pure uh, uh, asset deployment or capital deployment perspective um, is highly risky. The, the, the return horizon is, um, is bleak at times. The at-bat averages from a success, success perspective are, uh, are pretty low. Uh, and yet it garners so much interest and attention because people are so attracted to innovation and to disruption and to what is novel. For a healthcare system like university hospitals, and we're, we're not unique, although our, our model is differentiated, but for a healthcare system, but it could be a bank, it could be an insurance company, it could be an automotive uh, uh, operation. Um, in order to attract innovation that might be disruptive, that could introduce that next horizon, you have to be willing to place the proverbial bet on some of these opportunities. And that's what we do at university hospitals. We have a, 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 double, a double bottom line approach to the way in which we think about investing. We look at an opportunity, we make an assessment about the viability of the problem statement, the unmet need. We make a determination that it is in fact a problem that we too uh, would love to have solved. We do some matchmaking from the perspective of a, of a clinical or administrative champion who, who would be receptive to a proof of concept or a pilot or a clinical trial. Um, but then we don't just look at the opportunity to uh, uh, garner a yield from the, from the investment. We also look to the potential impact the tool or the technology is going to have once it's integrated into workflows. Are we going to impact patient outcomes? Will we uh, address levers like length of stay or readmission rates or 
uh, meds uh, adherence or access as a general topic. Uh, not all clinical, the, the business of healthcare too needs a lot of help, whether that be rev cycle or supply chain, et cetera. So um, I'm fortunate to have the discretion to look at two bottom lines and not necessarily only be focused on a, uh, if you will, a cash on cash return. Yeah. So what on average a week, I mean, how many companies and ideas are you, are you looking at that kind of come through your portfolio? Well, he sends me about 100. <laughs> a um, week. So no. So I would say we look at about 500 opportunities a year. We then get into some threshold of conversation with two dozen. We end up doing something from a strategic perspective, be that a, a, a pilot or proof of concept with uh, a 10 and we might invest in six or seven. But remember, Alicia, we're also responsible for our own intellectual property. Mm -hmm. We are an academic uh, medical center. Uh, we are uh, uh, in a position where we have a couple of hundred million dollars worth of research spend that is looking to yield outcome. And uh, so we're responsible for the nurturing of that intellectual property, the inside out, towards some form of disposition, commercial arrangement, a licensing arrangement, uh, a company formation, if possible. So how much fun are you guys having? I mean, this is, can be some stuffy stuff, right? So how much fun are you having working with entrepreneurs and innovators, obviously traveling the world on a month-to-month on a -month basis or weekly basis? Uh, what does that look like from an excitement level uh, for, for you day to day. So, so I'll talk about the fun, but I want, I want to take a step back and, and sort of dig into what David was just, yes. uh, was just explaining and really uh, highlight something that, uh, that is uh, to us maybe uh, a given, but, but I want to highlight it. Risk taking and failure are foreign to the Midwest. Yep. And so, or at least admitting to failure or, 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 or you know, uh, trying, doing everything you possibly can to avoid failure. That is not conducive to a venture capital state of mind uh, and, and, and approach. And so um, it's really important to, to express and to stress how taking risks and being um, accepting of failure as something that is building rather than destroying right. is critical if we want to have a future uh, and in business in general and society beyond that, because innovation is the driver of mm -hmm. business. Uh, if there is no innovation, business will dry up. And so innovation at its highest form is a result of a, of a process that embraces and I would, I would say encourages uh, risk-taking and, and uh, learning from failure. And so it's really important on an individual basis for founders and, and folks who are doing uh, this type of work, but it's even more impressive that you have an institution that David uh, spearheads uh, that's taken that approach. Institutions in general, especially in industries where margins are very slim, um, don't want to take that right. because it's not the, it's not the prudent thing to yeah. do, and I think prudence is 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 the enemy of innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 it sounds good to say, oh, let's have prudent business practice as well. That's going to lead us all the way down to you know where. And 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 you got to you got to balance that. So uh, so sitting here listening to David, as much as I'm aware uh, and thought that I was familiar with what they do, just it it struck me yeah. uh, that such an amazing institution at such a high level is embracing that as how it does business. Uh, and of course, they couldn't have a better per, uh, person than David to do right. that. But to answer your question, so it's fun. It's fun if you we'll embrace failure. It's fun if you take risk. It's fun if you meet other people right. who appreciate that. It's fun all day. It's yeah. awesome. And, and one, top, one of my top three takeaways from vision, visiting Israel was the culture of risk. It's engraved in the culture. It's part of who Israelis are. And so... It's not something to run away from. It's something to embrace. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing, like, when I came back, I'm just, even when leading some of the teams that I'm working with, it's like, okay, we can't be fearful of the, of the risk or the potential of failure. We have, to, we have to run towards it. Because how are we going to break through anything here on a local or regional effort if we're, if we're not thinking through it from a, from a position of, I'm not afraid of the, of the risk that it holds. Alicia, you can plan your way into atrophy. And one yes. of the takeaways uh, for me, uh, and this was not my first trip to Israel, but it resonated repeatedly was this notion of always engaging. Always. So always attempting to move forward, understanding 
the risks associated yep. with that and the 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 intellectual capacity then to adjust and pivot as a result of the experience. Yeah. So from a local level, I mean, obviously in the States is quite different than other countries. And we suffer here from a lot of marginalized systemic issues. And so in your day to day and kind of how you're looking to penetrate and disrupt local but global efforts, um, I, I can't have you on here and not talk about the, the data of the statistics of, of two less than 2% of VCs going to black, black and brown founders, even a smaller percentage of less than one to women, um, minority women. So how are you all working in your spaces to um, first create advocacy for those numbers and then um, also move forward with agendas and plans and dollars and resources to, to really increase those numbers in the next five to 10 years? I'll take a first run at that. Thank you. I, uh, I got a call about eight months ago from uh, the NIH. And they invited me to participate in an innovation equity forum in partnership with the Gates Foundation, focused on addressing the uh, incredible disparities that women face internationally when it comes to healthcare, health access, innovation dollars, uh, and, and all of the associated elements. And I said, I think you might have the wrong person. I'm not sure what I could add to that conversation. And they said to me, 50% of your portfolio is woman-founded, woman-led, or woman's health. Is that by accident? And I said, no, it's actually not. We pursue the most viable opportunities, and if they so happen to be woman-founded, woman-led, or woman's health, so be it. And the signal that that sent to the NIH was that there is advocacy, there is allyship in the venture capital community um, uh, towards this, this ameliorating this massive delta, mm -hmm. this massive gap. You're correct, 1.7% of VC funding goes to woman-founded companies. And yet, there is empirical evidence that there is, uh, at the very least, uh, proportional, if not disproportionately, better outcomes, uh, when it, economic outcomes, when it comes to those companies. So even the most misogynistic and chauvinist VCs in the world should be placing all of their bets on woman-founded, woman-led, if based purely on an economic and return horizon. I will tell you, I spent the last seven months as one of 40 men internationally and 260 women uh, being completely humbled every day because I was uh, uh, intellectually outgunned in every conversation, but learned a fortune culminating in a trip to Bethesda and the NIH. Um, and this, this understanding of how much work still has to happen, but it starts with intentionality. Yeah. So we partner with uh, black leg, black founded funds to look specifically at the opportunities that they that coming out of their portfolios. We do the same with half a dozen half a dozen funds focused on 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 um, woman founders, female founders, or female health. And for me, that puts um, effort behind intention. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, intentionality is critical, and and one of the things that. Um, I learned and we saw it together is that access is is the is fundamental right mm -hmm. and and so we we visited an ecosystem that uh, only cares about results right and and so that tends to make the the inputs uh, immaterial in terms of demographics can you produce results and as you saw and it wasn't any sort of uh, you know artificial design more than half of uh, the founders the executives the commanders in the military that yeah. we met were female uh, at every uh, color in the spectrum. And, and uh, the reason is, bottom line, and I'm, I'm, I'm distilling it to bottom line, but it's so many things, right? It's contributions is what matters. But the difference uh, that, and, you know, that we saw in that ecosystem is that the ecosystem provides access because it needs to, right. um, um, to everyone. And once you have access, it's a lot more representative at, at, the, at the bottom of the funnel. Uh, and then intentionality really is, is uh, sort of accelerates 
the results. And so that that is something that um, is is lacking here. And you know, we talk about the states, but there's so much difference uh, um, between the coasts yep. and between us and the coasts. And and so there's there's only so many uh, um, uh, flavors uh, of of uh, intentionality that you could sort of apply. In, in an ecosystem like ours. But I think one of the fascinating things that we learned is that the ecosystem that we exist in, Northeast Ohio and, and Cleveland in particular, is very similar to, to what we saw there in the sense of the con connectivity. Uh, I mean, if you look at the three of us, uh, right, it's, it's just how do we connect? Um, and then how do we pursue um, mutual passions? And so at the end of the day, I think uh, um, it really doesn't matter. The way I teach business is whatever moves the bottom line is what you should be doing. And if, if the facts say that uh, minority and female uh, um, ventures have a higher percentage of succeeding, that's where you need to put your money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really well said. And, and we're seeing a lot of this conversation rise uh, across the country, um, specifically in pockets where it is majority minority, um, which is pretty much everywhere these days, mm -hmm. although <laughs> that narrative is not being shared collectively. So as we navigate and we lead in these different spaces of wanting to disrupt um, how ecosystems are formed and who's leading the efforts and who's who's benefiting for the decisions that are being made. One thing I always like to reflect upon is who's in the room making decisions with us. And at times, um, historically, you haven't had the people who are going to benefit or be impacted by the decisions actually in the rooms contributing to those decisions. And we're seeing that shift now within the last five to 10 years, specifically here in the city of Cleveland um, and in, in, in the greater Cleveland area to say, no, we we need to be there as well we because the the model of building and they'll come has never worked for us and i say mm -hmm. us meaning minorities here in in the states and how we've been impacted ne negatively by things being built for us and expecting us to come and patronize and show up and and it's not at anything what we're even interested in and so we're seeing these things change and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of some of that work here and partner with the two of you and your institutions and all of the networks that you are a part of to say if we are going to be a regional leader right because that's what people are saying right we're like we, we're all saying the same thing but who's on the forefront and who's being bold with the message of saying we want to be a diverse inclusive hub for technology and innovation. And that's part of the missing piece I'm seeing. I'm seeing it in some rooms, I'm seeing it on some stages, but collectively as a city to say, we want to be this and this is gonna be our identity. Um, we need bold leadership. And that's why another reason why I've been so drawn to the two of you and a lot of conversations that we've had to say, no, what, did it, what do you need from me, Alicia? That's been a, a question you've asked me since the first day I met you. And I've come with some ask and I've come a lot with just to listen and understand um, how can we lead collectively and how can we create collectively? And again, this is this is going deeper into, you know, what's happening now, but where do we see ourselves in five years from now? I'm curious if you guys have any input of the direction Cleveland is going and, and how your institutions are, are paving the way in, in some ways of what do you, how would you want to see Cleveland in five years from a entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem? You know, let me key on something that you just said, the, the notion of uh, the, the, uh, the hope that if you build it, they will come, which we know is, is mythology. It takes courage and it takes the willingness to take body blows and to um, um, have to take a deep breath, tight abs and bent knees. And I tell you, right now in Cleveland, there's no one better than Elad in terms of um, that's sad for a the willingness, city. a willingness to raise that flag and be that type of beacon. This is guerrilla warfare. There's no mechanism. There's no centralized repository and mechanism that will naturally bring us together. So what Elad has done, and there are others, yes. is be those catalysts, be those conveners, create space and place for people to come together and then lean into the curation of the content and, uh, and uh, the, the, the networking that then naturally follows from that. You know, in the last couple of months, uh, the Bowler School and John Carroll has hosted uh, a couple of opportunities around the innovation space. One focused on medtech, one focused on AI, and, and of course there's a, there's a healthy overlap between the two. These were sold out events. These were oversubscribed events, and I will tell you, Three years ago, we'd have to invite our family members to these right. things to make sure there were, there were butts in seats. 
that's no longer the case because the story is beginning to self-perpetuate, but it did take courage and it did take leadership. Now, the power of the story then has its own concentric circle effect, yes. right? Because then you get others saying, hey, we want in. We want to be involved in that. We want to participate because we see from a brand build perspective and from an image creation perspective, the power of the storytelling is, is self-resonating. So in five years, what I would hope to see is that there is, uh, we've built it and they have started to come. Whether it's the companies, whether it's the, the talent, which again is a topic that we might want to touch on, but then certainly the capital mm -hmm. and no longer be seen as this, as this um, interesting flyover that has a, a little bit of resonance around uh, things like blockchain or things like healthcare, but is seen as a destination. Yes. We would have built it and they will come at that point. Yeah, I, I want to point out something that I, I'm, I'm um, known for often pointing out when, when I see it. Um, you're talking to two immigrants and I don't think it's a coincidence. And I bring it up because when we talk about underserved populations or populations that have barriers in front of them, uh, real, not imagined, I think it's hard to explain to someone, uh, unless you've gone through it yourself, what, what the experience of an immigrant is in the sense that you know no one. You have zero network. You come to an ecosystem with no context, no, his, no history, no connections, and you start with who you are. Um, and you build and you work. And that, if that sounds familiar, uh, it should, because it connects us um, to others that are trying to do the same in a variety of uh, uh, circumstances. But the, at the essence, they're trying to do the same thing that, that we have gone through. And I think it puts a different perspective on how we interact with our ecosystem. I'm, I'm not going to speak for David, but I know for me, uh, and, and he's seen me point this out a number of times, uh, because as we start seeing um, a critical mass gather around all of our combined efforts, we see a significant proportion of immigrants who are involved in this. And, and one of the beautiful things about, and there are many, about our ecosystem is that it's very welcoming of immigrants. It is a melting pot um, and it allows for a, a, a organic development and growth of an immigrant population into the ecosystem. And I think that that, that is incredibly enriching and also, I think it is much more sensitive toward other groups that that need support to let their talent shine. Yeah, I love that. Two very great points. Um, we're going to come back deeper into this conversation after a quick commercial break. Again, you're tuning into the Maslaray Show. We'll be right back. The Maslaray Podcast is brought to you by Breakthrough Sounds, a recording studio and media company located in Valley View, Ohio. Your creativity creates here. Schedule a tour today at btsoundscle.com. Welcome back to Masla Ratio. We're again here with Alad and David, two venture capitalists, entrepreneurs themselves, investors, and leading groundbreaking um, um, innovators here in the city of Cleveland and, and globally. And I and I want to continue saying globally because it is it is the work that you guys are doing, and you're bringing that back day in and day out um, to the city of Cleveland and to the Midwest. So again, thank you for your guys' efforts and, and how you contribute here. But I want to kind of go back to one thing that David was talking about, specifically around what that is. Cleveland look like in five years um, if we're doing the, our jobs right and, and we continue to work together in true partnership um, is is attracting the company's talent um, in, in the in the capital to making sure that this is a hub and I had an interesting conversation with a fellow colleague last year uh, last week around you know what is a tech hub and it, it's when I heard when I was in down in Miami, one thing that I saw there and what's emerging there is the company so if you you know if a the startup tanks, you know, where does the talent go? Usually in Silicon Valley, they go right next door to another startup. So in order to get to a hub, you need the companies to, to be immersed in, in many, many, many companies to be here. So when things are not going well, right, failures happen, risk happens, um, that the talent doesn't move out when the, when the job ends. And so I kind of want to go a little deeper on specifically a lot how you are looking at raising talent through John Carroll's pipeline. And then obviously the collegiate, we have a great collegiate community here in Northeast Ohio. Um, that obviously you're also connected to through university hospitals too. Um, what are you looking for in shaping young talent to go through the next steps of venture or 
entrepreneurship. Yeah. So, so again, you're absolutely right. You, you got to have critical mass, right? And you got to have some sort of draw that even if, if you fail, and by the way, the odds are you're going to fail. fail. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why I go back to our previous comments about embrace that, learn from it, uh, almost expect it, right? I mean, in the VC world, if we're batting, uh, you know, 8%, we're like superstar <laughs> rock stars. It's like, whoa, unbelievable, yeah. which means 92, 93% of the time, literally we fail everybody around us. Uh, around us fail. So we need to understand that, embrace it and move forward. But we also need to have options when that happens. Right. And so critical mass is really what's important um, um, in order for that to happen. So you need to you need to have enough activity to draw. Right. And then retain. And which which I think is is really huge um, uh, for any ecosystem. And, and I love what's happening in our ecosystem now uh, under the leadership of, you know, um, um, Destination Cleveland and, and then GCP, our, our dear, dear friends in uh, those organizations, Team Neo, I could go on and on. Everybody's really um, focused on attracting retaining and then of course uh, the role of higher education and by the way every ecosystem that you study and especially the one that we've studied in, in Israel uh, is built on foundations yeah. uh, business government nonprofit and higher education uh, and by the way that's a multiplication formula meaning if one of them is zero the whole thing is zero yeah. so you got to have the whole thing and so we we play a role you're right we do have the brand names around here but I, I'm not sure that we are still at the level that or, or that we are yet to be at a level where we we have an impact on that so I'm, I'm thrilled to be working with this uh, initiative for uh, attraction and retention and generate into the ecosystem so my 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 goal is uh, whether it's for one institution or all of us is to attract as many out of the region uh, people talents into our institutions of higher education and then have opportunities for them to interact with the ecosystem while they are in school and picking up the skills that they need to be that they need to have to be successful and then having through a variety of programs for instance in my college you have to have an internship you cannot graduate without at least one internship as we know that's what connects young people to uh, uh, places companies organizations and so we mandate that and so if you start seeing that type of traction uh, you'll start seeing students getting involved in their ecosystem prior to their graduation so by the time they graduate they're already well on their way uh, and so now you know the other thing we have going for us here is, is an amazing place for uh, to live if you are if you are working and if you are developing it's a wonderful place for your family to be yeah. it's a wonderful place to, to, to raise a family we have a variety of uh, assets here that allows to be very competitive in drawing talent here and keeping it here and if there's one good thing that came out of the pandemic is that you don't really have to be on the coast to be working with the coast yeah Awesome. Thank you for sharing that insight because it's it's critical, especially how we encourage young talent. Um, one thing I, I went to Cleveland State, so you know, no no offense to John Carroll, I'm, a, I'm I feel like I'm adopted John Carroll alum at this <laughs> point are. now, right? Um, and so one thing I always heard from my uh, my peers was I, I always wanted to know like what are you where are you going after this or what are you doing and like 99% of the students said that they were leaving Cleveland. Like it was like the first thing that came out of their mouth and it broke my heart because I'm a Clevelander. I'm a diehard Clevelander. Cause you have your Clevelanders who, who, who are not diehards. So I'm one of your diehard stick through all the Browns and the guardians. And I stuck through it all. Right. And so I, I, I knew that as I grew in my path of professionalism and entrepreneurship, that that was something I wanted to work on was a how for young people, how do we get them more involved in the community, more involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and, and have more exposure? Because a lot of times students are here for four years on campus and never leave the campus. So how are we integrating? I think John Carroll, along with other universities, are doing a better job now on integrating throughout the city versus just keeping them on campus. Like, you're great. I understand you want to you continue to have a vibrant campus. But at the same time, we need to expose them to how great our city and how great our region is so we can retain them post-graduation. Yep. Yeah. So, David, from a, from a capital standpoint and even talent, um, that five-year goal of yours and, and what you want to see here, how, how are you working it in that lane to, to, from a talent and a capital perspective? Yeah, a couple of things you've said resonate. I, uh, as you know, I teach at Weatherhead, Case Western Reserves Business School, and, and almost to a person, the students tell me they're leaving. Yep. They're going to go somewhere else. And it's because I don't think we've created place. I don't think we've created yet destination from the perspective of a glue that would hold or attract. 
And that will take organizations, the institutions and the corporates and the, the, the academic institutions to pave the way from the perspective of this, this soft landing. University hospitals, we think of ourselves as a living lab. Why would a company want to do their pilot or their proof of concept with us versus the Mayo Clinic or Ascension or Texas Medical or Mass General somewhere else? Well, we try to create an environment where the ease of access, the ease of uh, construct, the, the creativity that we can put to the arrangement uh, would make it uh, uh, self-evident that this would be an attractive place to be. When the corporates begin to do that, and many are, and the, the universities then act as the appropriate conduits to industry, and government steps in with some seed support on a non-dilutive basis, which the likes of, of Jobs Ohio and, and the Ohio Third Frontier mm -hmm. and Innovate Ohio and others are doing, you've now got a, a perfect storm brewing. Yeah. And so we're increasingly seeing a receptivity catalyzed, unfortunately, to some extent by COVID to a large point, but an increasing receptivity to um, ease of use, um, ease of access, uh, some friendly capital and uh, and open arms, candidly, from a corporate yeah. perspective. I think all of those ingredients are, are, are so vital, as Elad pointed out. Um, there is a, a recent initiative, it's two years old, known as the Cleveland Innovation District. It's the bringing together by Jobs Ohio of university hospitals, Cleveland Clinic, Metro Health, uh, Case, and uh, and Cleveland State in an attempt to do exactly that, create place, create destination, and do so with the view to that single tide that's going to, yeah. to, to rise, raise all ships. Yeah, that's great. And you're seeing, you're, we have all the right pieces. That's what's very clear. And I think one thing that we kind of struggle with here in Cleveland culture is the isolation of working in silos, all kind of duplicating similar efforts. And I've been a disruptor in my own lane in my own rightful so of okay how do we lead from a partnership initiative that even if your brand and name is not leading it and on the front of it are we still on the same page of what we want to see happen here i think we're doing that you know you were you were asking about where we see us um ourselves five years from now yeah. and i i actually reflect on where we were five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, forget about COVID for a second. Uh, just look at five years ago and ask yourself if this conversation would have been possible. Right. I'm not so sure. I think we've gotten to a place. There's been a transition in mm -hmm. leadership across the region. Yep. Um, you're seeing you're seeing two, three um, examples of that. But if you look at the city, at the county, if you look at uh, the major organizations. Um, prof, for profit, nonprofit. If you look at academics, there's been a a wave of of uh, new leadership, and most of us, if 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 I may be as uh, you know as bold as to count myself among it, um, see the importance of working together. Yes, and most of us see the futility of of uh, silos. Uh, we, we in fact, for years, we were we were um, frustrated by the silos and all of a sudden I'm looking around now and everybody in the ranks mm -hmm. is us. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we get to do what we always said we, we need to be doing. Yeah. And so I'm incredibly optimistic about the progress we've made to get to this point. And now I'm a lot more optimistic about the, where we would be five years from now simply because all of us, really all of us, are on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, we know what didn't work. We, 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 uh, we've been exposed to what we, we, we've seen uh, works. And so we, we we realize that silos will not do that, no. um, and we realize that the uh, you know going back to what I was saying before about a uh, multiplication formula, mm -hmm. we realize that we all multiply each other's efforts yes. when we work together. So I'm extremely optimistic about where we'll be five years from Good, now. Good, because we need that energy, yeah. right? You need that energy when you're having these conversations that um, are kind of designed to not see the city move in the direction that it has the potential um, to. So good good to hear and excited to continue to co-lead and co-labor with the both of you. So as it relates to purpose, which is one of my favorite topics to always bring up in these type of episodes and, and, um, and bringing people to the platform and the show is, you know, how does purpose drive your, your life and your decisions? Um, and if you want to, if you want to go down the investing route, you can, if you want to go down a different route, but I'm just curious to share with the audience, you know, how, how purpose is driving, you know, your, your day and, and your, your decisions. 
So David, if you want to jump in first. Yeah, I, I, I got lucky, Alicia, to at this juncture of a career, you know, I'm, I'm well into my 50s, late 50s, to find, finally have found a candidly a mission focus. And, you know, it's something Alad's had for a while from the perspective of didactics and education, but, uh, and this is not meant to be a disparaging comment at all, but I worked in industries where the mission focus was a little contrived. I worked in financial services. I worked in professional sports. Critical, uh, critical from an ecosystem perspective, from an economic mechanism perspective. But I never felt that I was truly ever impacting a person or, or, or a people or a population. And happenstance put me into healthcare, an industry I had no uh, uh, candidly, no prior real exposure to other than as a relatively failed angel investor, uh, certainly covered uh, healthcare from an investment banking perspective. But that is still an outside-in viewpoint and doesn't put you at the pro in, into proximity with, with patients and with people and with families. An interesting thing happened to me. My first six months at university hospitals, it was a, a consulting arrangement, uh, I didn't have anywhere to sit. I didn't have an office. And so I'd spend my time working with a couple of colleagues sitting in lobbies and in waiting rooms and in reception areas. And it gave me this... Um, this deep dive, this, this ethnography opportunity, this, this human-centered exposure to um, what is candidly very broken about U.S. Uh, healthcare and maybe healthcare in general. And I will tell you, uh, to a person, every healthcare provider, every hospital system is doing the best they can, and many, most are doing incredible jobs, but there is still work to be done. And so for me, I finally found an opportunity to, to marry some passions. My, my intrigue with innovation, my relentless uh, desire to want to learn because I, uh, I, I candidly always enjoy being the dumbest person in the room. And you don't have to pick up on that comment, not a softball, <laughs> lad. Um, and I found that opportunity to be able to effectuate outcomes that may, might have impacted people, communities, and populations. It's a very gratifying, humbling, and empowering yes. place to be. That's my perspective. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for people to understand, you know, why you're in the role that you're in and how you've persevered through those things. Because you can, we can go and do anything, right? It doesn't take long to be good at something, but to be great and walk in excellence, which I, I would see the two of you in those spaces is it, it takes a purpose it takes a drive and so it's always good to hear those stories a lot it's it, you know um i you've heard me say this before um everything is personal and and so um david's right in the sense that oh, for the last 15 years i've been able to be in an enterprise that has purpose um, beyond the bottom line. In fact, uh, sometimes it forgets there's a necessity <laughs> for a bottom line. Uh, but in all seriousness, the, the mission, uh, mission-driven is, is the term that I'm looking for, uh, is, is, is where I've ended up. And um, I say it's all personal because to me, it, it, it goes back to who I am as a person and what I care about. And, and um, coming from a family of Holocaust survivors, social justice for me, is more than a saying it's a way of life and to me in business i could only take it so far mm -hmm. in higher education i have a lot more degrees of freedom to practice the promotion of social justice and to me there's nothing that provides a higher chance of social justice than obtaining an education yeah um and and so i feel privileged to be in such a position to with the realization of where I've come from, what my family has gone through, um, and what I'm able to now influence moving forward. And so everything is tied in uh, as far as, I, as I'm concerned. You know, I'm not as late into my 50s as David is, but I'm, 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 I'm deep enough in it to know that uh, everything you do, if at all possible, should have meaning. Mm. Um, and yeah, you need to sustain yourself and support your family and support your, your, your community. But at the end of the day, it's 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 a fulfillment of who you are as a person, uh, 
And if you can weave that into what you do as a professional, now you're onto something. And the more people that do that, the better off the ecosystem is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good example of that piece specifically as it relates to John Carroll is, and I'll do a, a quick plug here because that's that's why I have my own platform, right? Because you can kind of do and say what you, what you want. But I've been... Um, in a great partnership and collaboration with John Care for the last two years on their business um, boot camp um, initiative. And so that boot camp is specifically for community residents um, to take advantage of the resources, the network, the ecosystem around entrepreneurship and business. And so this year we're running the camp again, and I'm, I'm one of the facilitators of, of the program, and that starts in October. So if anyone's interested or knows someone's in the greater Cleveland or Cleveland area um, that can take advantage of this free program that comes with so many resources, there's micro grants, there's mentorship. We meet every Saturday. Um, we get free lunch. I mean, you, the, the list goes on, right? You can't pass up good food. And so I know that goes to show for the leadership um, that you have and also the, the amazing team that you have around the institution to bring these type of initiatives, not just for students, but for community. And that's one thing that we need more of to say, okay, we have these big global go uh, goals and we want to attract talent, but how are you investing in the talent that's already here? Um, because that's a, a huge conversation that we need to continue to have um, to reinvest those dollars back to the residents that have they didn't have a choice to leave. They didn't have an option to leave. They've had to be here. And, and we've had some challenging times in the city of Cleveland, especially the proper um, city, uh, Cleveland proper. And so seeing this investment back into the city and back into community, I um, just want to applaud the effort that you are doing. And I get to you know be a part of and be a cheerleader to say, and this is a great opportunity for um, ideators, um, young entrepreneurs, but people who may have an idea that they've been a hustle that they've been having in their basement or working at their aunt's house. This is an opportunity to really take that hustle and that concept through a, a process to say, okay, is this something I can see myself doing long-term? Is this building generational wealth for me and my family? Or is this something that is just a hobby? And sometimes we don't have opportunities to put things through processes in a, in a, in a proven, evidence-based proven model to do so. And I believe the curriculum that John Carroll has helped put together um, can really take an idea or a hustle or a hobby and really put it through a process where someone can build generational wealth and really have a sustainable company coming, coming through that program. So again, it's thank you. great to have you on the team. I think it's important in general. Um, if, if we want to create a, a, an inclusive future, we have to create an inclusive present. Yeah. And so, um, and, and you need to be um, deliberate about it. You need to be intentional as David was saying. And so, uh, you know, it's very gratifying to hear, uh, to hear that from you. Um, and, and, and it's a result of intentionality. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious, you guys have seen a lot of businesses. You have invested in a, several, probably hundreds at this point of different companies, thousands with UH, I can imagine. Um, what, what are the top two to three things that you look for when you go through a company's um, portfolio and understanding their concepts? Like, what are the top three, like, three things that if it's not on there, there's no way you're, they're going to get an extra 15 to 20 minutes from, from you as an investor. Go for it. You know, I'd be surprised if we have dramatically different answers, but uh, the first thing that we look for, that I look for is um, how cogent and how t tight the problem statement is. Um, if, if an entity, if a company comes in and leads with a solution, I, I, I lose interest pretty quickly because I really need to unpack the problem statement to determine magnitude, to determine uh, the extent to which it's actually scalable. And so the, the rigor around the build of the problem statement, the job to be done, the unmet need, I think is a starting point. Then, and uh, it's not necessarily sequential, but it's dovetailed, um, the quality and the experience and the uh, tenacity of the leadership team. Do they, have they, the capacity to actually execute upon a, a stated set of milestones and 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 deliverables and measurables, uh, and that can manifest in in uh, their prior experience. Um, failed entrepreneurs are sometimes the best entrepreneurs. Uh, it can be a function of the 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 chemistry and the makeup of the leadership team and the op and the operating team. Uh, the third element we look at is then the technology and the solution, because the underpinning, the, 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 the secret source from a technology perspective 
is usually only a path of one. There are many other ways to get to a resolution around that tight problem statement. So if you've got the right problem and you've got the right leadership, of course you have to have an overlay of, of patient capital. Uh, only at that point for us does the actual technology and the solution that's being proposed uh, get, get the requisite scrutiny. But you've got to get through those first two, in my mind, those first two hurdles pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's critically important to, to understand from a VC perspective on what folks are looking for. So curious to, to see if you have yeah, anything so, to, so to add on So keep in mind that what, what David, his deal flow and what my and our deal flow is are quite different. Yep. So we, we look at early stage companies. Um, and so the number one thing we look at is the team. Um, and in fact, the more, uh, the more failures they have in their track record, the more we like them, uh, because they're tenacious. Uh, they, they have multiple ideas. They try, which is the most important thing. So we look at the leadership team, mm -hmm. the founders, primarily early stage, it's usually not a big team, right? It's usually a founder or maybe two. Um, a tech person, something along those lines. But that's what we look at, the track record, because you cannot, to me, well, first of all, let's let's take a step back and, and, and uh, acknowledge humility. Uh, we fail most of the time. I, I can't say that enough. Not only do we fail, I fail almost all the time. And so ideas that I thought were great completely tanked and I th ideas that I thought were terrible flourished, okay? Most of the time, that's me. So uh, if I'm sitting here, uh, um, you know, as some sort of expert, let's let's just acknowledge that. I'll make and, sure to add a drum roll well, sound effect saying, to, to that saying, piece there. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I chose a business yes. that, that fails most of the time, mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time. Having said that, that's why it's important for us. We look at team. Because we're early stage, what we look for is major disruption to the point where the first pitch I find myself uh, many times, and I've been doing this for a long time, you would think I'd be jaded at this point, and when I see something really, you know, out there, I, I, I shouldn't think it's out there. No, I get blown away. Uh, that's what I'm looking for, right? I, uh, uh, one of the best pitches I've ever seen, when, when the founder came and explained the idea, forget about the technology, just the idea, I remember my response was, bullshit, right? There's no way you can do that right? Yeah, they can. Wow, right? I'm getting goosebumps just telling you about it now. That's what I look for, right? Again, please remember, most of the time I'm wrong. But a, a strong team with, with an amazing disruptive solution, you need to explain the problem. You can't just have a solution. You need, to, But still, something that is completely disruptive that no one has thought of or done before and then having a strong idea of how to monetize it which is where we go back to the importance of having a string of failures behind you because at that point you know that if you cannot explain how this can be monetized and how it can be scaled then it's probably you, you, we're going to pass yeah uh so these are the things that we're looking at so i i gave you three but th at the very very top um with with a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, distance from number two and three is is the team. The team, yeah, and and I, and I can speak to the team dynamic in so many different ways, and so can you. I mean, the, just day to day, you're from a family, from a household to your your job at, at the workplace to whatever your social club and who your dancing partner, right? It's all about team, and, and for anything to be successful, you can't do it by yourself. And so, what's one thing that you would tell a, maybe an aspiring entrepreneur or founder? in today's age that could maybe um, encourage them, motivate them, um, but also help drive them in, into their decision-making? I would say be a relentless listener. Be coachable, be humble, uh, and absorb. Uh, I think that notion of, of active listening is a lost art. And uh, the best entrepreneurs I've come across manifest the fact that they have heard um, and they've uh, adjusted and reacted to all of these inputs that they've received. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would say, in addition to that, um, develop very, very thick skin. Mm. You'll be rejected most of the time. Intake the criticism, understand what you can process from it, what you can, what you can distill from it, but don't let that discourage you. Literally, like I said, you're going to hear no 99% of the time. Um, and that's what's cool about it. That's how you sort of tell um, the, the, the 
true entrepreneurs from others. They, they, criticism um, makes them adjust, makes them uh, refine, makes them sharpen, but it doesn't dissuade, it doesn't uh, distract, it doesn't uh, get, uh, get them into a self-doubt sort of stage. Uh, it is a very easy thing to say sitting here. It's incredibly hard to practice. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen that with so many companies that we met in Israel and obviously the ones coming through to the city of Cleveland. And so, uh, again, we can we can talk for for hours. There's so much knowledge and so much shared commonality of what we're trying to do here. Um, I, I love to end the episodes with a pure message. That's what the platform is all about, a pure message for our generation, how we shine more light and positivity. So. For, for you as an individual, you know, that that personal model, that 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 what wakes you up, what keeps you reminded in your darkest times. And when you heard no so many times, you don't know if you can keep going. What's that positive message or that pure message that kind of that helps you get through that you would like to share, you know, with our audience? Thinking on one foot, uh, Alicia, you know, for me, um, uh, integrity is a true north. Uh, doing the right thing uh, at a time when that's not always either popular or endorsed or easy to do, uh, doing the right thing when there are potential implications from the perspective of um, self-gain, I think that's that's what's driving me right now. I feel blessed to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, I, I, I've had an interesting life that has led me to this point, and I try to keep that and focus as, as my true north. That's great. That's great. And it it is important to have that that North Star. And I've I've been hearing North Star a lot lately. So I man, I need to spend some time. Cause I think once you hear something more than three times in like a one week, it's like, okay, and then you take note because something is trying to, to talk to me. So what about you, Alad? That personal well, peer being, message. You know, obviously being a professional educator, uh, but even if I weren't, I would say uh constantly be in learning mode. Yes. And and it's difficult because, you know, we're, we're sitting here not just because we all got along and had a great time and continue to enjoy each other's company, but also because, you know, we, we all know our game. Right. And, and if you get to a point where you where you stop learning, um, I, I would say do something else uh, yeah. because um, being open to new things and being hungry for knowledge is really uh, both uh, well, certainly as a professional but also as a, as a person as an individual is really the secret to to um i'll use a term that uh, you know everyone measures differently but um to me it makes sense here it's the secret to success mm -hmm. however you measure that uh if once you stop learning first of all the world continues without you whether you want to learn yes. or not and so you're really going backwards. Uh, it's not like you stop where you are and, they, okay, I know this and this is it. No, the world's moving forward. And a great example is, you know, this uh, AI that's so fashionable to talk about. You know, David and I have been in the AI realm for probably a decade, right? Way before, uh, I don't even know if we termed it AI. Uh, it was machine learning. It was Algorithms, a variety of things. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, you got, you know, 50 plus old guys here uh, in, in, in what you would think is a young person's game. And maybe it is, but we are deep into it primarily uh, because we never stop learning. Yeah. And, and so if there's one thing I would say is if you feel like you're not passionate about knowledge, you're not curious about uh, you know, what's happening around you, maybe you're not doing what you should be doing. Yeah, which goes back to, to purpose, right? We want to help people. Well, I want to help people identify their purpose, learn and discover their purpose. And then from there, how to monetize, right? How to monetize that purpose and, and sustain it. So again, thank the two of you. And I want to, before we totally wrap it, if there's any last comments or things that you want to share um, with our audience, uh, just just about what you have going on, if anything. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to make a plug. I'm a marketing guy after hey. all. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think it comes across for anyone that endured uh, up to this point of listening to us, uh, I think it comes across <laughs> that I passionately believe in the power of education. Yes. And and so I would say uh, never rule out a business education and, and pursue your passions if it's not business. But at the end of the day, you really need to understand that no matter what you do, whether you work for yourself, work for an organization, whether it's for-profit, non-profit, government, whatever it is, you need to have business skills uh, at the foundational level, right? If you If you ask yourself, if you're watching us now, uh, if you know how to read a financial statement and if the answer is anything but yes, come get your degree, come get your certificate, come and, and put yourself in a position that allows for success for you, for your family, for your community. Uh, and you cannot do that to a high degree without formal business understanding. And the best way to do it 
is is at a place that that uh, uh, provides this type of education. Of course, I'll push for the Bowler College of Business. But of even if you don't go to Bowler, you know, go to a place where you can pick up those skills. Yes. And don't assume that you can pick them up on the fly. No one will ever teach you how to read a financial statement if you're on the fly. It just doesn't. That's not how life goes. Uh, and yet you need to know how to do that. I, 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 it's, a mad, it's, it's just maddening to be uh, running into people that don't know how to do it. How are we even going to have a conversation? We're not talking about the same right. thing. Yeah, talking two different languages. Yep. What about you, Dave? Anything uh, last you want to share? You know, I'm just going to uh, bask in the glory here and, uh, and, <laughs> and ride these coattails from the perspective of once you've put yourself in that position where you remain a relentless learner, don't be afraid to take personal chances. Don't feel that you are locked into a career choice or a career path by virtue of your uh, your your education or your initial experience. Um, be willing to use opportunity or circumstance or good luck or bad luck to understand that all learning and all knowledge is fungible and it all layers upon itself. And uh, be willing to change industries. Be willing to to wear different uniforms and. Uh, and I want to acknowledge you, you know, and the the impact you're trying to have and the reach that you have and the importance of the message for for your demographic, I think, is critical. So I just want to applaud you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, again, thank the two of you for joining the show. So much wisdom, so much knowledge, so much experience. And I hope that our audience can take away a little bit more about what venture capital is, the importance of leading in, in, in purpose and in personal intent. And, and how they can get connected to the Cleveland ecosystem, but also the global ecosystem that's rising around innovation and entrepreneurship. So again, thank you for blessing the show and, and joining us today. Um, and for all of you tuning in, um, thank you for joining us. And I just want to offer like, if there's a way for people can connect the two of you, probably is LinkedIn um, for the both of you. So I'll make sure I add those LinkedIn um, links to, to the show. But again, thank you guys. This is episode 78 um, of the Mas Ray Show, where we bring more light everywhere through heart to heart conversations. We're signing off. Peace.